0: You know, when I was a kid, I used to come up here a lot and play behind the pulpit. My dad has a lot of cool stuff up here. I don't know if he ever knew that, but I used to kind of imagine being up here, so now I am. It's kind of cool. Um, But, you know, as a youth pastor, I hear, I get to hear a lot of complaints that the kids have about school. Um, And the most common one is probably, when am I ever going to use this math homework again? And so, In order to honor them, I thought I would come up here and do a little math for you. Um, How many church services do you think you've been to in your life? How many sermons do you think you've heard? I calculated that if you've been going to church every Sunday for 20 years, you will have heard 1,040 sermons. If you've been going to church every week for 50 years, you will have heard 2,600 sermons. If you've been going for 80 years you will have heard 4,160 sermons. And if you've been coming to Lockwood since my dad started in 1988, right, um, you will have heard him preach about 1,300 times. That's a lot of time listening to sermons, right? Now, a little more math. If you've read your Bible every day for 15 to 20 minutes a day for 20 years, I estimate, depending on how fast you read, that you've read through the Bible 18 to 19 times in your life. Now, I doubt that most of us could say that we've done our devotions so devotedly, but my point is not that. My point is that we've, most of us at least, have heard and read God's word a lot in our lives. And my concern is this, what if we've been hearing God's word but not really been listening? What if the truth of the gospel has become like a song that you've heard a million times, so much so that you don't even listen to the words anymore? Don't be fooled. Just because you've heard the word of God does not mean that you've really listened to it. I used to work at Kohl's department store um, when Beth and I lived in Wisconsin, and there, the worst part about the job was that they played pop music. 24 7 over the radio, and the only place you could get away from it was when you were in the bathroom, um, I loved to go to the bathroom during my shift. <clears throat> um, or, or when it was 1:35 a.m. in the morning and the system had to re- reset. Some of these songs I really disliked, but most I was just indifferent to. You know, I, I ignored them. Um, somehow, I knew all the words. But at the same time, I was all but deaf to them. I'm worried that will happen to us when God speaks. I'm worried that God's voice and his word will become noise to us and that we'll become numb to the power of them. I'm worried that we will hear but not really listen. It's always been like that. From the beginning of history, two things have been constant God has always been speaking, he's always been speaking. And mankind has forever been ignoring what he says. He's always been calling to us, and we've plugged our ears. He's always been leading us in the right direction, and we've refused to follow. He's always been warning us, and we've never heeded him to our own destruction. It started in the garden, right? Adam, God called, or God warned Adam not to eat the fruit. He did not heed God's words. He called to Adam in the cool of the day, and what did Adam do? He hid from the sound of his voice. On Mount Sinai, God spoke the Ten Commandments in his own audible voice, and it shook the mountains. It was so powerful, and the people were terrified. And they cried out to Moses, and they said, speak to us yourself, and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us, or we will die but neither their fear nor their commitment to listen lasted very long. Forty days later, they could be found at the foot of God's mountain, worshiping an idol in the shape of a calf and indulging in all kinds of repulsive sins. Forty years after that, as they were standing on the steps of Moab about to enter into the promised land, after having witnessed firsthand God destroy all of their parents' generation, Because they didn't listen, Moses stood before them and he said, Your eyes have seen all that the Lord did in Egypt to Pharaoh, to all his officials, and to all his land. With your own eyes, you saw those great trials, those signs and great wonders. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a mind that understands, or eyes that see, or ears that hear. I think of Jeremiah. He stood in the temple while everybody was around him and he cried out to them. He says, To whom can I speak and give warning? Who will listen to me? Their ears are closed so that they cannot hear. The word of the Lord is offensive to them, they find no pleasure in it. Jeremiah warned those people that God was not happy with them. He warned them that exile and disaster was sure to come if they didn't repent. And what did they do? If you remember, the king took the scroll of Jeremiah's prophecies and he cut it off piece by piece and burned it in the fire. And then they threw Jeremiah in a cistern so they wouldn't have to listen to him anymore. And who were the people that did this? They weren't the unbelieving pagans. They were God's own people. These were the people who were called by his name. These were the people that God had revealed himself to. They made pilgrimages to his temple every year. They celebrated festivals. They made sacrifices to him. They were always honoring God with their lips, but their hearts were far away. And for this reason, God cut them to pieces with his prophets. He killed them with the words of his mouth, as Hosea says. But they never felt a thing. God was always speaking, but they were never listening. He sent great man after great man from Moses to John the Baptist. Some of them they beat, others they killed. And he had one left to send, a son whom he loved. And he sent him last of all, saying, "'Surely they will respect my son.' Jesus came as the last and the greatest of the prophets." He was the very word of God. He was the word that God has been speaking from the beginning, and he was wrapped in flesh and given a voice to speak, and they still refused to listen. Instead, they killed him. They subjected him to one of the most humiliating deaths ever devised. But death could not destroy Jesus, and it can't silence his words. Heaven and earth will pass away, But my words will never pass away. And now his words still echo in our ears. God is still speaking. Even today, Christ calls us from his throne in heaven. Therefore, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. God has never stopped speaking, and he directs his words to us now, his church. But are we listening? See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they, meaning Israel, did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? Israel suffered again and again famine and drought, war and exile. And though God warned them through his messengers, they were still surprised when the siege equipment was being set up against their walls. They thought that the Lord was their God and helper, but he had become their enemy. How much more so for us? How much more so for us who sit in church pews every week to hear God's word? How much more so for us who have Bibles open on our laps? If we only hear and do not listen... If we treat as a small and unimportant thing the words that God has spoken and the things that he has done to secure our salvation, what's left to save us? So, as our Lord Jesus says, consider carefully how you listen. And that's the theme of our passage. Our passage is called the parable of the sower. You're probably familiar with it. Um, Luke chapter 8, I'm going to start in verse 4 here it should be on the screen <clears throat> while a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to jesus from town after town he spoke this parable a farmer went out to sow his seed as he was scattering the seeds some fell along the path it was trampled on and the birds ate it up some fell on rocky ground and when it came up the plants withered because they had no moisture Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant, and he said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables so that though seeing they may not see and though hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it but they have no root. In the time of they believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. So I want to make some notes about This parable before we kind of jump into the soils first the farmer in the parable is clearly god and the seed that he sows is the word of god like jesus says the farmer does not simply sow his seed in the good soil but he sows it everywhere likewise god speaks his truth into everyone's lives even those who don't believe or have trouble hearing This is an act of his kindness, his justice, his mercy. Second, the four different soils represent different kinds of people with respect to how they listen to God's word. I think we can also infer that, unlike in nature, people have a choice about what kind of soil they're going to be. And they can change if they want to. In fact, I think one of the main reasons that Jesus shares this parable is to offer everybody the chance to change and become the good soil, to become the kind of people that listen to God and obey what he says. Third, I think it's probably unwise to try to label yourself or someone else as a specific specific type of soil. The point of the parable is not to identify yourself as as a soil, but to identify the thorns and rocks, the things that get in your way of you listening to God and doing what he says. And finally, it's not good enough just to hear and know God's word. You have to do something with it, or better yet, you have to let it do something to you. So the first type of soil is the soil that's found alongside the path or the road. In ancient Israel, wheat fields were broken up by thin strips of land that people walked on. And though the seed might have fallen on it, the the ground had become so hard by people walking on it that the seed couldn't penetrate the soil. And so it couldn't, you know, grow and produce. And Jesus' point here is that just like the seed bounced off the hard ground here, so the word of God bounces off of some people. It can't penetrate their lives. They don't think they need it. And so they don't listen to it. Now, I think that many of us might assume that these people are unbelievers. But let me remind you who Jesus was talking to and about. The crowds around him were the ones that came to see Jesus on purpose, they were the people that went to synagogues and made sacrifices at the temple. But here's the thing it's possible to acknowledge that God exists. It's possible to acknowledge that Jesus died and rose again and that the Bible's right about everything. It's possible to acknowledge all of those things and yet not have faith or belief. Saving faith is different from acknowledgement. Doesn't James say you believe there is one God? Good, even the demons believe that and shudder. Real faith is always tied up with real obedience an open ears and a willing heart to obey. The people who are represented by the hard soil are Christians in name, but not in lifestyle. They hear the word of God, and yet it has no effect on them. These are the kind of people that God calls stiff-necked and hard-hearted in the Old Testament. Their consciences have been seared with a hot iron so that they can no longer feel guilt or shame for their sins. In short, they don't believe. They don't have faith. If they did, they would see the danger that they are in and repent. One thing I've learned is that you can be soft-hearted and receptive to God's voice and have sincere faith in most areas of your life and yet be hardened toward God in another area. And unless that hardness is dealt with, unless it's broken up, it will certainly start to dry up and harden the rest of your life your life if you don't take care of the part of your life that's hardened towards God now if you are the hard soil if the word of God just bounces off of you there is still hope there are three possibilities of what will happen to you you can humble yourself repent and submit your life to God why do you think that God talks about repentance and humbling yourself so much in the Bible Because all the blessing and all the wise words and all the love in the world cannot turn a hard-hearted person back to God. It has to be humiliating, not humiliating, humility and repentance back to God. The next possibility will be much worse for you. God may rip apart your life like a rototiller rips up the ground until you return to him in desperation. The prophet Amos talked about how God sent famines and droughts and plagues and war into Israel, all in order to bring them back to himself. And I have seen this personally in the lives of people I know. People lose out on their money and their savings. Their health diminishes. Their families are in trouble. They're brought to the brink of death, all so that God could soften their heart a little bit and speak into their ears so that they could hear. One thing that I've learned about God is that he will break your body in two if he can save your soul. And the last possibility of what will happen to a hard-hearted person is the worst. After allowing time for the first two, God may do nothing. He might leave you the way you are, hard on the outside, dead on the inside. The main way that people become hard-hearted is by stuffing up their ears when God warns or convicts them of sin through the scriptures or through their consciences or through the voice of other people. And the more hard your heart becomes, the less able you will be to hear and accept the truth when God speaks it the next time. Some people have chosen to ignore God so many times and become so hardened against his still small voice that almost nothing can break through anymore. And that's a scary place to be. Every time you hear scripture read in church, every time you hear the truth of God on the lips of others, and you don't listen, you fall further away from the Lord. If this is you, you must take a practical step in your life. You must confess your hard heart to the Lord and ask him to speak to you again. And then when his word comes, whether through the scriptures or through other people or through your own conscience or just your knowledge of what's right and what's wrong, when his word comes, obey it. Do what he says. That'll put you back on the right path. That will soften your heart, start to soften you. The second type of soil is what Jesus calls the rocky soil. In Greek, it talks about how the seed actually fell on the rock. In the land of Israel, there are places where just under the thin surface of the soil, it's just hard rock. Jesus' point here is not that these people are hard-hearted. It's that they're shallow. There isn't much depth to them. Our world is filled with people like these. This kind of person is defined by the house they live in, the clothes they wear, the things they like to do, careers they go into the things that they desire and the things they want are the same old things that everybody else desires and wants in the world there isn't much depth to them and therefore when they believe there really isn't much depth to their faith either they decide they want to be a christian but they don't go much farther than that and that's just the thing their life is about them and so is their faith It's only when a person begins to live for something bigger, for something more important than themselves, that they can become deeper and the word of God can take root in them. When your life is all about you or all about you and your family, you just don't have the ability to hear the word of God and let it grow and take root in you. You can't listen to God because God's word and his will are bigger than you. His plans and his work include you, but they are so much bigger than you. But when you're lost in yourself, when something goes wrong in your life, that's it. The world is done, literally, because the world is your life, and your life is the world. We have to be rooted in something more firm, more sure, something bigger, something that can't fail. We have to be transplanted into the life and will of God, which is so much bigger than ourselves. Now, how do you know if you're shallow? My guess is it's really difficult to know, <laughs> um, just like it'd be difficult to know if you're hard-hearted until the until the Spirit speaks to you. But there is a test. What is it that you think about throughout the day? Where is your focus? The shallow person's focus is mainly on things in their life, their problems at work, their dream home, their vacation. In short, they have their minds fixed on earthly things rather than things above. But God can deepen us so that when he speaks, his word takes root in our lives and changes us into people who live for something more important than ourselves. Let me make a practical suggestion if you struggle with having shallow ground in your life, plan a time every day to leave your life, to leave your goals, your wants, your work, your schedule. Leave your life and take time to consider the lives of others and what they're going through. Purposely choose to pray for someone else and take time to consider what they're going through. I realized a while ago, that while my prayer life was becoming more consistent, it was still all about me. Even my prayers reflected how shallow I was because it was still all about me. But when you pray for others, use that time to get caught up in what God is doing in the world and in the lives of people around you. Get caught up in God's kingdom mission and stop building your own kingdom. Get caught up in God's long story of his faithfulness and stop writing your own story if you do that you'll be able to dig past the shallowness of your life and get caught in something bigger something deeper and more important than than yourself and you'll be able to hear him the third type of soil is the thorny soil thorny soil these are good-hearted people they sincerely want to listen and obey god when he when he tells them when he speaks to them but their intentions are always squandered. They may be capable of deep faith and deep commitment, but somehow other things always seem to get in the way. And the lesson here is the same lesson that every beginning gardener needs to learn. Weed your garden. Get rid of the excess stuff in your life. These weeds, these thorns, as Jesus says, are life's worries, riches, and pleasures. These things can choke the kingdom life. They can crowd it out. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about how your day-to-day worries, your schedule, thinking about money, living in search of pleasure, how that can choke the Christian life and cut you off from hearing God's voice? Now, the problem is that these things are not things that we can get away from in this world. Everybody has worries and stress. Everybody needs to deal with money. Everybody, you know, needs to search for pleasure. God made us to want pleasure. But the problem is that life's worries, riches, and pleasures can spread and grow out of control. They can take over your lives without you even realizing it. And when you let them take up space in your lives and you let them compete for your attention, God's word will always be the first to lose out. There's too much noise. Have you ever tried to listen to several different songs at once? You can't listen to any of them (laughs) because they're all going on. It's kind of like that. In verse 7, Jesus says that the thorns grew up alongside of the seed of God's word and it choked it out. The thorns weren't checked. They weren't managed. They weren't cut off at the root. Oftentimes, We let too many things happen in our lives at once. We have God's word, but that's just one of the the plants growing in our garden. God is just one of the things we have going on. You know, in the parable, Jesus implies that the whole plot of soil belongs to God's word because this seed needs a lot of space to grow, all the space that we can give it. And it's the same in our lives. If we want to follow Christ and obey his word, it will take up all of us and all that we have, all of our time, all of our effort, all of our thought, all of our talents, all of our treasures. There's just no room for anything else that's going to take up space. With Jesus, it's always been all or nothing. Unlike the seeds that fell on the hard and rocky soils, though, the seed that fell among the thorns actually does grow. It just doesn't produce any fruit. It's there, but there's no reward to be had from it. When we give God just part of our lives, God's word becomes a burden. It becomes a pain. It's like a plant that you water, but never find any fruit on it. It may as well not be there at all, but when we give God our lives completely and hold nothing back, the return we've received from it is much more than we could expect, a hundred times more than what it's sown, Jesus says. When you lose your life, then you will find your life in him. And that leads us to the fourth soil, the good soil. When Jesus describes each soil, he talks about how the seed fell alongside the path it fell onto the rocky soil. It fell among the thorns. But it falls into the good soil. It goes right in. There's no problem. There's nothing obstructing it. It goes right into the good soil. Those who are represented by the good soil are people who have prepared themselves ahead of time to hear the word of God and let it take root in their lives. They look to hear God and obey him when he speaks these are not necessarily people who have no thorns or rocks in their lives everybody does they are people who have made a conscious effort to get rid of those thorns and rocks that cause them to not be effective listeners to god they get rid of the things that might hinder them from hearing god's voice and obeying when we hear god and obey him when he speaks Even if it's just a little thing, it's always a great blessing to us and it will bring us closer to him. Life is so good when we hear God speak and do what he says. It will always turn out well for us if we do, even if it seems hard or scary or painful at the time. God is always speaking to us. Usually we hear But we don't always listen. What is it that keeps you from listening? Have you hardened yourself against his voice? Are you wrapped up so much in yourself that you can't hear him talk about anything other than what you're thinking about in your own life? Are life's worries, riches, and pleasures crowding out the word? For most of us, I think it'd be a little of all three. Or maybe a lot of all three we need to prepare ourselves to hear him do what you need to do so that you can become someone who is quick to hear and quick to obey god speaks to those who want to hear him listen to his voice and do what he says and consider carefully how you listen let's pray Lord, please speak to us today and please help us not to be hardened anymore against your will or to be wrapped up in ourselves or all the things we've got to do. Please help us to tune in to you and become people who listen to you and produce a harvest of fruit that's pleasing to you and pleasing to us. Amen.